Welcome back to Surf Splendor. I am your forever host, David Scales. And then, of course, uh, today's episode is Surf News, as you probably read on your listening device. Surf News for February 16th, 2016, co-hosted by Scott Bass. So I'll toss to that in just a second, but I need to get out a couple of logistical details about the show. Um, everything, every past episode is archived on surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's an individual show page for every episode with a comment section. Feel free to leave comments about today's show in today's show page, and then go back onto past episodes and comment there. Always appreciate what listeners have to say. I like to communicate that this isn't really just a conversation between Scott and I or the guest and I. It is a conversation with you, the community. So chime in. You can also chime in on social media at Surf Splendor, on Instagram, Twitter, and then on Facebook as well. And leave a comment in iTunes. If you listen in iTunes, um, you can rate and review the show. And that really helps our show to grow. It helps other people to find it. So I'll keep pumping out the content. All that we ask is that you share the content with friends. You can either do that by posting it on their Facebook wall, telling them about it, or again, rating and reviewing it in iTunes. We've had a few new ratings there in the past couple of weeks, but I don't think I've seen any new reviews. So keep that fresh, and we'll keep this snowball going. All right, thank you very much. Enjoy today's episode of Surf News. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Any music? Yeah, I'll put it in in post. Are we rolling or what? (laughs) (laughs) Put it in in post. Jeez. Professional, dude. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Hey. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. What's up, guy? (laughs) Check out the waves, bro. You were shredding out there. That guy. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. It is February 16th, 2016. It's a Tuesday afternoon in sunny Southern California. And I'm Scott Bass, along with our good friend and co-host, David Lee Scales. We're bringing you Surf Talk and Surf Talk Podcast. Live from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center, surfingheritage.org. We're not really live. We're recording this. Live to digital transcribed tape. (laughs) Whatever, guy. (laughs) Whatever, guy. All right. Live to tape. um, So Surfing Heritage, what's going on, dude? Surfing Heritage, we're here in their library conference room, as you mentioned, and they're having a big exhibit. It starts this Saturday. It's the... Paskowitz Family Exhibit, all things Paskowitz Mojo, um, the immortal surfing clan known as the Paskowitz, Patriarch Dorian, all the way down to, um, I don't know, there's about 15 of them. Opens this Saturday. They're doing an opening party. I think it's five bucks for non-members, free if you're a member, catered by L&L Hawaiian Barbecue. So um, come on down. If you're in San Clemente and you haven't been, you got to come, period, and or anywhere in Southern California for that matter. Um, but if you're not around again, surfingheritage.org is their website. They're the Smithsonian of surfing museums. So really a great asset, um, to the surf community and awesome that they allow us to broadcast this show here. And the Paskowitz clan is, um, just sort of, um, gosh, they're, they're iconic Southern California surf family, a family of many that lived in a school bus and a series of camping sites along San Onofre State Beach and um, 
The best thing to do is to watch the movie Surfwise, Surfwise, which is a documentary film. Um, and that'll give you a, a little bit of a glimpse into the Pasquitz family. But of course, things evolve, things change. Um, Abraham Pasquitz <clears throat> is involved with Carver Skateboards. Jonathan Pasquitz involved with the Lightning Bolt brand. And um, Izzy Pasquitz involved with Surfers Healing. And uh, look, they're just... It was Saturday at the opening would be the ideal time to come because the Pasquitz guys are all going to be here. Yeah. And you're going to want to meet them. They're all very um, loving, kind people. And it'll be good fun. And, and a truly sort of an, I think, an underrated, understated, um, you know, family. Or, I agree. You know, yeah. like I don't think they get as much... They're, when I think of the Pasquitz family, I get a little like a tear in my eye, kind of like they're like the way Southern California used to be to mm -hmm. me. That's the way I view it, you know, because I was around in the, the 70s and 80s when the Pasquitz clan was sort of in their heyday. And um, so to me, it's like, you know, it's like the Pasquitz family, um, Led Zeppelin's going to California and, you know, pictures of the old Stone Steps contest, all that stuff sort of brings up a bunch of memories and nostalgia in me and makes me um, yearn for yesteryear. You know, you say iconic uh, Southern California family, which is accurate, but I would just take it a step further and say they're just an iconic surfing family. We're grateful and fortunate that they're from Southern California so that we can call them our own, but really they bridge a much greater divide. And, you know, Dorian sadly has passed away, the patriarch, but what a great interview and a great, um, just a, 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 just a character beyond characters. Crazy. Just yeah. incredible. Have you interviewed him? No. Oh, man. He is just uh, one of a kind, and sadly he'll be missed. But uh, man, did, did you ever interview? him? I did. I've interviewed him a few times, and for the podcast, or yeah, for the magazine, or? for the podcast. Hmm. And he was great. We did live TV, live radio in San Diego with him. And oh, okay, Doctor Pass. Trying to get him to stop for a commercial break is uh, yeah. quite a challenge. Yeah, super like health nut. Obviously, yoga, organics, all that stuff. Way yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, and really sure of. Of where his place in the universe is, like really interesting. There was no, um, there was no like BS with him, you know. Like it was just all sort of. I mean, he would he would look you in the eye and just like beam right through you. You know what I mean? With this sort of loving, caring stare. No, excuse me, I had a Pepsi, so I'm burping a little. <laughs> but I know that um, you know there, as you know, you saw Surfwise. As with any family, large family, there's some turmoil and some issues that need to be excavated and resolved. And I know that there are some of those with some of his children. And so I can sit here and say, yeah, he was a loving, charming, wonderful guy. And I'm sure that there are some that feel that way, but also have issues with, with Dorian. But again, well, that's mean, none of my business really. It isn't, but it is a subject in the documentary. But the reality is you can be a successful husband and not a successful father or a successful something and not another you know and it, it doesn't people are nuanced and that's the beauty of people and so i think oftentimes he had very strong convictions and people who have strong convictions go head to head with people who have opposing convictions but there's something admirable about having convictions and standing by your convictions, you know. And I think with any father-son relationship, there's always comes a point where yeah. where the son's trying to break away from the grip of the father. And, and if the father's stubborn and convicted, as you say, you know, loosening that grip could be difficult, you know. Um, and I think that that was the situation with David Paskowitz and his father, where there was some turmoil. I'm not sure if it ever got resolved. Um, and, uh, yeah. 
Pasqua's family. Interesting. I mean, fantastic fan, uh, subject matter for a documentary and for this exhibit. You know, the guy did a great job. You, sh- if you know, David and I sing the praises of this documentary all the time. Probably one of the <laughs> top five surf documentaries, if not the number one. Yeah. Although Endless Summer is probably number one, right? Sure. If we were to like list them out, sure. but Surfwise has got to be in the top five, right there, right? As the best surf documentaries ever. I mean, could you could you throw out real quick off the top of your head a, another surf documentary that's on par as far as you know kept your interest? You were fascinated. It wasn't really about surfing, which is a, I, a plus. Yeah, I really can't off the top of my head. How about Between the Lines, the story of surfers in the <laughs> Vietnam War? I don't know. I never heard of that. I heard it was a dud. Actually, between the lines is another surf. Anyway, <laughs> uh, tell me about it. I mean, customer. I mean, no, customers, listeners won't catch the reference unless you say. I, it. I truly believe that that's pretty good. I made a movie, a documentary film on surfers in the Vietnam War, called Between the Lines. But and and I sort of half jest, and I'm also sort of half promoting the movie. But aside from that, so we've got Surfwise and Endless Summer, right? What other great surf documentaries are out there? Well, the one that. Um, Sea of Darkness. We've yeah. talked about on the show, and we kind of found it. And uh, did you watch you it? You found it. I never got to watch it. You didn't get to watch it? No. Oh. I, I know. You sent it to me, and I was going to watch it, and some okay. life happened. Um, but I read a bunch about it. Yeah. And tell me what your thoughts on Sea of Darkness were. Now, give <laughs> some backstory here. Sea of Darkness, a movie about the surf industry and the drug trade. Yeah. And it got... It was made by a really famous documentarian, like sort of a cutting edge, kind of like radical guy that has his own money. He's self-funded so he could do it. And he's outside the industry so he could do it. And he did it. And then... So, yeah, I I don't know a lot more than you do about it. I think that that guy worked in Hollywood previously. So that's the world that he was coming from. But as with a lot of people outside of surfing, they have a fascination with surfing. And so the story that is partially told in the book Tie Stick, which Kelly Slater has since optioned and is going to make a movie about, a documentary about, um, part of that drug trade, you know, it was just the Wild West back in the day. And it was really open back in the day, like pre-Coke even, like in the the 70s. People were running boats back and forth from Southeast Asia to Southern California and selling marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just open range. And uh, it was so a lot of people who came from very little money got super wealthy in the matter of a couple of years. And and uh, so it's about that. And then a lot of surf brands were kind of born out of that and through some of that funding. Ill-gotten gains provided capital to create exactly. surf brands. So this, this documentary, Sea of Darkness, was produced by this Hollywood guy and finished. But he interviews Bob McKnight and some big industry heavy hitters in the film yeah martin daly right and so what i heard is that one of those companies then bought the rights to the film when it was doing like the, was the doing film the, circuit right and getting a lot of critical acclaim it got some play in europe one of the big yeah uh, document like sun not sundance but whatever in can can maybe or con can con whatever but so when it was doing that circuit and got some acclaim, then somebody bought the rights to it and just buried it. Right. And was like, now we own it and no one's ever going to see it again. But it's out there on BitTorrent. You found it on BitTorrent. It's so it's out there in the, in the dark web, what they call the dark web. Is that yeah. what they call it? Dark web? I don't know if that qualifies as the dark. I don't know that I've ever been to the dark web, but yes. There I don't is think a, you ever want to go to the dark web. I really like, don't. No, you don't. No. No. There's no reason to go to the dark web unless you're going to get dark. Yeah, this is dark enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is sort of light-skinned web, yeah. if you will. So that's the subject of Sea of Darkness. You and I need to discuss. I mean, our listeners now, 
or I'm sure want to see it desperately. Yeah. yeah. And I remember talking to Chaz Smith about it at one point. And he was like, Oh, I haven't seen it. Do you have it? I'd love to see it. And so you and I should actually discuss off the air. Like we should watch it and then talk about it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, see, yeah. I read about it. You know, I was searching for it. I think I was afraid to download it or something. Cause you did send it to me from some sketchy website. Okay. You know, it was one of those ones with like dot are you or something, yeah, some yeah. Russian website. Don't put your credit card in. By yeah. <laughs> And so I was a little sketched to, to download because I think my machine was like, hey, you're, you're in a really weird place. Yeah. But I was reading about it and, and the, the vibe I got was like, it's sort of the same old story. Like, okay, you know, great. Some guys in the 60s, you know, ran some drugs, made some money. Like, I didn't sense that there was an overwhelming, like, great story there other than other than they were exposing yeah, they people are. in the industry. Yeah, I'm which not to sh- me is kind of like whatever. I mean, there's a million drug dealers and That's funny that funny that you funny that you felt that you felt the act opposite because of those exact reasons. Like Well, you the, saw the movie. The, I didn't see it. Yeah, that. the exposing of it is what made me want to watch it. I mean, I'm I'm aware that these things took place and that these stories happened, but I haven't really seen it in Technicolor. Well, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the interviews. I heard they're really good. And you saw it. Yeah. Like, is is I'll, I'll Martin Daly pretty? Yep. Martin Daly's that, candid. I heard that Martin Daly was one of the ones that was kind of bummed about it. Like he did the interviews. And this is all hearsay that I read on the internet. Yeah. But I heard that Martin was like one of the ones that was like, well, they used it out of context. That's not really what I meant. And so I heard he was a little bit disgusted by it. Well, again, I could be wrong. I remember watching something on YouTube where Martin stood on stage with the filmmaker maker accepting an award. Well, so vanity I, I is one know. thing, not, li- <laughs> not liking the film is another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so that would be, back to the conversation about documentary, that would be one yeah. that is... Surfwise, Sea of Darkness, Endless Summer. Yeah. And um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other great ones. We just can't. My, my old brain is... I can't even remember your name, let alone a surf documentary film. You know, what I find the best examples of documentaries are often people who come in from outside the surf world. I agree. To really explore the subject yeah. matter. They have just a different take on it. Yep. Um, by the way, I just yeah. said, um, I was reading, I was looking at your YouTube or iTunes reviews Uh-oh. that people write You're on kidding. down the line podcast. Uh-oh. And cause I read them before you and I linked up and I've gotten a bunch on the surf splendor side of things. What are we doing wrong? Saying um a lot. I am some guy on your, your reviews was like, hey, Scott, the show's good. I think he said the show's good, maybe, and complimented it, and then was like, yeah, but your co-host says um more times than a 14-year-old girl. Like, tell that guy to get his act together or something. And then I, I went back because of that and listened to the first few minutes of our last episode and realized I say um all the time, and I had no idea. Well, here's what we can do, right? We can, we can create a drinking game out of this. So if you're listening at home, every time David says um, go ahead and pound a drink. I, I had no idea. I'm so embarrassed by it. And now I don't know that I could even stop. Because if I'm too conscious of it, yeah. I'll throw off don't change my objective. Thing. Don't you change know? a thing. So, yeah. I don't know what to do. Okay. I'm, I'm super self-conscious I can tell. now. Though. Let's break into some well, stories. Well, here. wait. Okay. I got more follow-up from our oh, last good. episode, if good. that's okay. Yeah. I feel like there's some recaps that we need to do. Okay. I don't know if you recall. I was I discussed kind of at length, went on a diatribe about... Craig Anderson's 10 minute sur- welcome elsewhere video that he put out. And then Brendan Gibbons, Dylan Perillo's 13 minute film that they put out. And they've got that one in particular had so few views yet. They spent a year 
investing and filming and monster and then the energy other, the other guy's him. little video yeah. clip that was insane where he's doing the power hacks what was that guy's Mikey name? Wright yeah Mikey Wright that Owen was Wright's younger brother puts yeah. out a three minute video that took three blows weeks up. to film at one surf spot yeah. and blows those guys away so anyways I got a note about that on surfsplendorpodcast.com on last show's uh, page in the comments section Casper writes quote a note from a Swede that loves your show regarding the February news episode if somebody has the time to listen through one and a half hours of surf news, then I'm sure that watching a 10-minute video of Craig Anderson and Dylan Perillo wouldn't be a waste of time. The fact that one surf clip has less views than another might only be important to a sponsor or a brand and say nothing about the quality or artistic value of the piece. I hope that there continues to be space in surfing for both short and long films. And let us hope that creativity, skill, an honest expression will triumph over revenue and capitalistic interests. End quote. Casper, Casper in Sweden. The, Casper the socialist. <laughs> uh, I agree with them, though. I mean, views don't matter. I never look at views. I very rarely look at views to determine whether I'm going to watch it or not. doesn't determine whether I watch it, but I And I don't at- think you were... You didn't seem to care that much about the views. You were just noting that, hey... How come this one doesn't have a lot of views since they put a lot of money into it versus this one that didn't put any money into it and they got a ton of views? And that's more of a, a feature of how you how you put it out there in social media and, and who picks up on it and who how it goes viral rather that's, than... That's definitely part of it. But the quality of the work, I think, drives views hmm. almost more than anything because it will that's, find its way to Maybe you're right. Viewers. Maybe quality will always find its way. Uh, but I think Casper did hit the nail on the head in terms of I looked at it and presented it under that... the the focus of views no of return on investment like right. from the people who are investing right, remember, money into yeah. this they must how, be bombed, how do you yeah. find it equitable to spend two years filming view from a blue moon and spending two and a half million dollars on it you well know, again you, we talked about this I don't, i'd hate to go over it again but to them it's like it's just a marketing number on their marketing line you know on their marketing exactly. budget they're yeah. like look we got 2.5 million let's spend 2.1 million we'll save 400 grand the bean counter will be stoked and we'll market and we'll have a killer video. But my point is that if you can bang out a killer video in three weeks at Rocky Point in right. three minutes, then why invest a year or two? Because you don't have two and a half million. They have two and a half million. I mean, they, but even if you have that two and a half million, you don't want to spend it all if you don't have to. That's my point. Well, you know? I mean, I look at it like, I think they look at it like, here's our marketing budget. We've got two and a half million. Let's make a kill. They're not going, we've got two and a half million. We could make something really good for a thousand and hopefully hit a home run and then if you don't people are like dude we gave you two and a half million and this is what you made for a thousand they're like let's spend the two and a half million let's do it right we know in our heart of hearts we spent the two and a half million properly we did a great it's a great movie the john movie is a great film it's, it's beautiful it's you know and so we did our job i completely agree that that is exactly the conversation that's happening and i'm not arguing for the opposite but i do think it's important for those marketing people to note how that money's being spent is the is the the video that you spend one million dollars on 100 times better than the one you spend ten thousand dollars on and do, do you get a 100 times ter- return on your investment is that math correct by the way i don't know <laughs> dude you're asking the wrong guy so that's that's the only thing that i'm like those are the most interesting conversations to me in right. surfing oftentimes you know well no it, it's fascinating it's, it's interesting to talk about for sure return on investment yeah know. I would suggest to you that the John John movie got a great ROI and the Mickey Wright got great ROI and the Dylan Perot, maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. Can I read one more thing to you, yeah, a follow-up? Sure. We We talked about, uh, in the last show, we spoke about 
the Eddy. Oh. Whether it's owned by Quicksilver or not, and then the Vulcan Pro calling it a QS event, blah, blah, blah. Got an email from a well-placed source that says the Eddy is indeed a Quicksilver-owned event. Of course it is. The WSL provides a specialty license to Quicksilver in connection with the Eddy, which provides various benefits the event producer, uh, various benefits to the event producer, depending on what might be required for a particular event. The WSL is also Quicksilver's broadcast production partner, which is why you may have seen some of the WSL broadcast team during the Dawn Patrol. So, yeah. So that's that to tease apart the details in case we misspoke. All right. Well. I, my lead story is the Quicksilver in memory yeah, of Eddie. I figured that would be a good segue. I mean, it, it went yellow light. You know, they were all geeked up on it. I was geeked up on it. It went green light the day before, and then it went red light the, the morning of. of. And um, part of me wants to believe that that the Bay called the day, you know. Um, and, of course, it did. But when the first rumors of the possible Eddie circulated, myself, like many others, looked at the models, right? And the models, in my mind, had the swell arriving Wednesday afternoon they were they wanted to hold this event on a Wednesday and and I you know I thought for sure they were going to call it for Thursday it looked like the forerunner so to speak we're going to arrive Wednesday and then Thursday it was going to be bombing and they called it for Wednesday I kind of let well that's weird I looked at the models again and again the models showed the swell and from what I can tell arriving Wednesday afternoon so Look, swell models can be wrong. I'm not a classically trained meteorologist. Uh, I'm not a professional surf forecaster. I have been studying models and, and, and winds and fetch for quite a long time, and everything I saw pointed to, there was no way that uh, Wednesday morning it was going to be 20 feet. So I'm pushing down this, like, you know, rather ugly sort of sophomoric conspiracy theorist in me that wants to pop my head up and go, you know, this thing seems like a hoax. And I sent you a text that morning going, dude, I had a feeling this was going to happen, right? And you were like, I know. Remember, I sent you a text. Absolutely. And um, look, I could be wrong. I probably am wrong. And Quicksilver spends a lot of time and a lot of energy sending up that little mini village at the Waimea Bay Beach Park, the infrastructure, the toilets, everything, putting out press releases, getting athletes notified, getting the ball rolling. They, they do a lot. And so, you know, there's no way they're going to do all that and not want the event to run. Or am I wrong? <laughs> like we got to give them the like you're well, we got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But with so much doubt lingering over this thing, like you know, there was no discussion at all about the Eddy until it seems like there was pressure put on the Quicksilver from the outside well, that hey, you guys, by the way, we're in an El Nino year. It was thirty foot there and closing out the other day, and you didn't even mention it. There was no, you know, in years past they would put out press releases. They would see a little blob and they'd go, hey, we're watching the swell. It may or may not be the one. It's not the one. A week later, oh, we're watching the swell. It may or may not be the one. No, it's not the one. I mean, they were on it. There was like a crew yes. of marketing guys that were watching it and kind of keeping the the drum rolling, so to speak and this year it was like deathly silent which had everyone going what's going on you know well that's how we need to couch this conversation is based in the conversation we had in our previous episode which was there was two awesome swells that they could have run the eddy with one for sure one that maybe was actually too big but two swells that in other years they would have run the eddy and there was no conversation of this yellow light green light yeah, there was the, none of that. Those swells were forecasted just as long as advances in yeah. advance as this one, but they didn't ever say we're going to go yellow light and potentially run on these days. They didn't even consider running on those days. So like you just stated and we discussed at length in our last show is do they have the money to run this? They all, they very publicly filed bankruptcy and are recovering from that now. 
are they just getting enough marketing play out of the fact that they own the license and then people talk about the Yeti? Is it worth it for them to even run the Yeti? And enough of those rumors came to light and got publicized on the internet to where it felt like they just needed to put a yellow light on the next swell that came. No matter what. Even though it was half the size of the previous swells. Right. Half the energy of the previous swells. But to put all that infrastructure and do all that stuff is... And then... In, your, in the back of their minds going, we know it's probably not going to happen. We'll just pull the plug and we'll get a little bit of marketing play out of it. Like, are we if you're that gonna, conspiracy? Or is, that, I, is that really happening? No, I, I can't imagine that that's happening. I, I, I agree. Now, here's the other thing, though. Oak Tree, this Oak Tree company, whoever, this private equity that bought, bought them out of bankruptcy, they've got some big wigs that don't give a crap that are in like New York City somewhere sitting at a boardroom like this, a conference table, and they're going, hey, look. We'll give, we'll throw you guys a little bone. Here's 50 grand. Just go turn the thing on, get some energy going. We'll get some marketing. We'll get some positive pub here and we'll pull the plug on it. And if need be, we'll pull the plug. Yeah, we'll pull the plug and whatever. But here's the money needed to to do it. Yeah. Another thing. Let me just address that. That kind of flies in the face of everything else that they've done with the way that they've spent money. They're trying to call costs. They're not trying to spend money, you know? So I don't know that the people who have tons of money are more concerned about spending money than the people who don't. So right. I, I'm not, I'm not sure that they would really take that strategy. I do think, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory, but I do think that they could go, Hey, we've got this public relations nightmare on our hand. We need to just go show that we're not afraid to spend the money and that that's not the reason why we didn't run it. So let's go down there and in full force and put on the show. Flex our muscles and say flex we're here. Flex the muscle yeah. knowing that it might not run. We still need to flex our muscle because yeah. that's what we need right now as a public relations standpoint. What they don't realize or what they didn't kind of see all the way through is that if you don't run, it actually looks even more like a conspiracy. Right. You know? So in their attempt to like tamper down the conspiracy theory, it actually looks more like a conspiracy. <laughs> Here's another interesting note. I was reading reading uh, Swellnet and Stu Nettles, who I think does a, a know, really, like really great job. Totally. He's probably, I don't know if he's revered in Australia, but I think he's he's a really good journalist. He, he's truly a journalist. I think he hunts down the stories and he gets all sides and he does a good job. Anyway, point is, is that he found out that through reading the fine print, that you may recall, they changed some of the judging criteria. It used to be that you needed a 20-foot minimum. And they changed it to now you need to have 20 waves of 20 feet all All day day long. Yeah. And um, if you go back a couple weeks to that swell that that pushed Kelly Slater to the shoreline and that was closing out the bay, uh, at 9.30 in the morning, there was 25-foot sets. The show, the, the, the event usually starts at 8. So they could have hung out for an hour and a half and said, we're on hold till 9.30 or 10, which they could have done. And then run the event that day. Now, some good news for Quicksilver and or bad news for Quicksilver. There's a massive storm that's set up again. El Nino is fully firing. And the last day of the waiting period is the 28th of February. Yep. There's a swell that could arrive. That if, if I think tec- technically it's the 29th. The 29th. Like, it's a leap year. It, I would urge you to go to Storm Surf right now or some if you get a chance and go to the North Pacific models and check out what happens. There is a, a massive, again, these are models and this is like a week out, this model or more. But if, 
if everything comes to fruition, which it has been doing this El Nino year, like the models have been playing out rather correctly, there's a massive eddy swell that could dump on our doorsteps. And could you imagine if they don't yellow light it, at least yellow light it, at least put out the press release, tell everyone, hey, get on your, get get ready. You know, you guys are flying in for the event. It's on again. Yeah. You know, it, so this could really muddle, muddle the waters for them a little bit. Yeah. If they don't at least acknowledge that, hey, there's another massive one out here. And oh, by the way, Waimea is going to be 25 feet. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to at least send out a press release and get everyone motivated. Because if it is a netty day and they don't run it, I think now way more mud on your face. I would have said that after the first swell, then the second swell, and then the no-go swell. I think at this point, it's pretty evident that I don't, I'm not going to say conspiracy theory. I don't think there's a puppeteer that was like planning it this way, but there definitely was some poor decisions being made or an apprehension to run for sure. An apprehension. I don't know if it's to spend the money, but there was without a doubt an apprehension to run. There must've been a communication breakdown from the marketing people in Hawaii that run the event kind of going, Hey, who do we talk to? We're in bankruptcy. Who's exactly who's the guy at Oak tree. And they go, well, you know what? We can't, we haven't signed the deal yet, so we can't really talk. And so I'm sure that they're very practical. That's probably what it was, right? It was just like, Hey, we don't know what to do because we don't have anyone above us telling us what to do. A lot of the the staff has been let go. Yeah. So that's obviously that there's no doubt that there was a a massive communication failure there. A lot of the staff. And a lot of it is just based on legal stuff where we can't do anything until the, you know, the, the dotted line is signed. Exactly. I'm sure that's what it is. So without, now, I mean, without the dotted line, to anybody about it. Right. Well, listen to us. We <laughs> this, this comes to you from Scott, who's in the parking lot at Cardiff, and David, who's in the parking lot at Huntington Cliffs. <laughs> we're the, just the pier, by the way. The pier. We're just we're just gleaning really quality information. <laughs> yeah. From our sources. So what were you gonna say now? Something. <laughs> My source rides a, a mountain bike. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, by the way, that swell, you said it was going to fill in in the afternoon. Did it from the free surface yeah. stuff? Did it? Yeah. That did, it, I, did it run through the next day, too? Uh, I don't know if it was. It, it might not have been big enough, actually. It so, wasn't. That's the other thing. You looked at it like you did just mention. It wasn't as big as the swell before. Oh, not even close. So, for them yeah. to give it to Yellow Alert, everyone's kind of going, really? I don't know, man. It's not even really, you know. From the moment it hit Yellow Alert, everybody that I saw who knows anything about forecasting going, said, no. it's just not going to run. Yeah. Like, don't even get a ticket. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, that's the problem is that everyone just, just like me, guys that have been looking at swell models for 30 years, all of us were like, just really, they yellow light. What? Really? I do like the yellow light system, by the way. I do too. It's a smart, I mean, I obviously the WSL does it with the big wave world tour, but I'm a big fan of that. It's very easy to understand what's happening without having to read swell models. Unless you're colorblind. Uh, well, good point. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 
2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's LinkedInJobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, so Jaws ran, by the way. Went, not, not an event, but like Jaws was again. Yeah, February pumping. 10th, February 11th. Right. Uh, all time. All time once again. I, I mean, how many times has it been all time? Eddie was in Maui. There, there you go. Yeah. There were some big things that happened, though. Uh, a couple guys got sent to the hospital. Tyler. Did you see Tyler? The I wave saw his board. and the, how insane was? Have you ever heard of that happening before? No, that's that's mind blowing. It is a first. Yeah. So his leg went all the way through the foam of a four inch board with pierced. massive pierced, right? Pierced. So it, the board punctured. didn't the board didn't break. Yeah, just the leg went through. The foam. It's as if somebody just but punctured the, a hole in the board. But the leg broke. It turns out it didn't break. Oh. They thought that it broke, and then the latest reports are just that there's a lot of damage, but it's actually not broken. Muscle Mind blowing. Ligament. Yeah. So Tyler Laurent, for listeners who haven't actually seen this, Tyler Laurent uh, took off on a set wave, basically made the drop, and while he was at the very bottom of the wave, about to set up a bottom turn, the lip that was like barreling essentially just hit him right in the back of the legs. He said he got a chance to, he's a regular footer and he's going right. So he like makes the drop. He gets a chance to look up and he just sees this like 50 foot lip coming right, <laughs> like one foot away from hitting him. And sure enough, it just lands squarely on the back of his knees, blows him to pieces. But the the force of the lip drove, kind of hit him, I guess, in the hips more than the knees, but drove one of his legs straight through like a drill through his fiberglass and foam pierced his board then he got obviously like worked. a railroad spike like somebody like, a, like john henry threw the hammer down on a railroad spike and drove it through so his as opposed his, to a drill correct his <laughs> exactly so his leg is through the center of his surfboard yes the board doesn't ever break but he gets blown apart underwater wiping out with his legs stuck in his surfboard so, so crazy fully just getting fleeced and um, so that created a lot of tearing muscle tear damage and ligaments and stuff like that in his leg but he came up and he said it's the worst pain that he's ever felt in his life and thankfully the rescue team was able to get him to safety they thought his leg was broken but he's gonna make a full recovery no broken leg shocking well good he pulled both of his he had his vest on you know with the two different um what are they called flotation device air yeah yeah yeah, I yeah. can't think of what the word is. They're bladders. Bladders, yes. But he pulls. He's like, normally you pull one, and if things get really bad, you pull two. He's like, instantly, I just pulled two. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I got to get out of here. Yeah. Just because it was that much pain. But horrific, horrific wipeout. That's gnarly. So, yeah. Um, on the heels of the Eddie Blunder and Tyler's Blunder, uh, Surfing Magazine did a cool little thing. I'm sure you saw it. Maybe. Surfing's Biggest Blunders. No, I didn't see this. Well, they... Uh, <laughs> They put out a little, they talked to Matt Warshaw and Matt Warshaw helped them come up with a list of surfing's biggest blunders. According to Matt, 
1928, the Pacific Coast Surf Championship went down in Corona Del Mar, 1928, and the Orange County paper took out and hyped the inclusion of Duke Kahanamoku in this event, the most popular surfer in the world at the time. And everyone showed up to see Duke, but Duke never showed up. So right off the bat, one of the first major surf contests ever held was a major letdown, at least to spectators. So that's blunder number one. How many blunders do we have? Top maybe, 10? Maybe three or uh, Okay. Unless you have some you can No, add. no, no. Your hairdo today might be a blunder. Yikes. We might consider that a Thanks blunder. a lot, dude. <laughs> I think we should both take portraits and, and put them on my Instagram hair and we'll see whose is worse. <laughs> the Allen... The Allentown, Pennsylvania Wave Pool Contest was held in 1985. It was billed as the World Inland Surfing Championships, and it was the equivalent of what we would consider a CT event today. Tom Carroll won the event, but the people in Allentown were telling people it was going to be six to eight feet, and it was waist-high and dribbly mush. That's one of Matt's blunders. Another one was there was a time um, in San Francisco, Kelly got crowned world world champion one heat too early. That was a good blunder. I do recall that very, very well. One that I didn't know about, uh, Matt says, far more embarrassing, a math miscue actually happened in 2002. They were going, uh, getting ready to crown Tony Ray. He was on the, the stand, on the uh, podium there. Tony Ray as the champion of the Eddie, the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie. When Kelly noticed on the podium, right before they announced the you know fifth place, fourth place, third place, all that, that they had improperly counted one of Kelly's scores and that it was Kelly Slater, not Tony Ray, that had actually won the event. And this is after Tony had thought for the last two hours that he was the winner of the event. And Kelly Slater did a recount and took the title from Tony Ray. That's unbelievable. Isn't that a good So one? what year was that? 2002. 2009? Oh, 2002? Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. That's a heartbreaker for Tony Ray. And I mean, it's kind of... Sucks that Kelly was the one who had to call it out. I would hope that like somebody else would notice that I was the winner and then I get vindicated. But if you got to do well, the math on the you know, your the own. way they do the scoring uh, for the Quicksilver memory of Eddie, I count, there's a massive scoreboard. It's kind of like the Masters or something, or or like think Fenway Park where the big scoreboards. So they've got all the scores of all the rides right there in front of you with every surfer and they tally them up and it's like the top three scores of both of your heats or whatever and it's a cumulative score yeah so you can just see this really large scoreboard and they're on the podium in front of it and kelly's looking up at it and he's going wait a minute 86 plus 73 equals they they've got this wrong and you know he's tapping the shoulder of probably glenn mancata from quicksilver and going hey man break out your calculator because i think i won this thing so pretty fascinating it'd be neat to see some video of that if there's any out there well, uh, Kelly also was the one who did the math calculations for that previous point that you just made San about Francisco. him being in San Francisco. Yeah, world champion one heat too early. Winning the heat too yeah, winning the championship too early. I don't think he was the first one that did the math. I think somebody on the internet did and they tweeted it to him and then he investigated it, but he revealed himself to not be the world champ. Right. He was the one who brought it to the ASP at the time and was like, hey guys, you did the wrong math. I'm not the champ. He later went on to one win. One later. Yeah, he won the world title yeah. afterwards, but still. So honorable bloke. I mean, he calls it out when he wins, but also calls it out when he wasn't winning. Those so. are the some of surfing's blunders, according to Matt and the guys at Surfing Magazine. Segue from one of those points and Kelly Slater into another news story about his wave pool. Yes. Is that they, uh, the Kelly Slater Wave Company, come out and came out and told Business Wire that the wave pool is entirely solar powered. For the record, we're calling it Harris Ranch Rights. 
Mm. At least I am. I'm hoping you'll pick up on this. I will pick up on Paris it until Ranch they writes, reverse. They can make that thing go left, right? Correct, I should say. Doesn't matter. Harris Ranch writes. <laughs> this is what we're calling that wave out there in Lemoore, California. Harris Ranch writes. Entire, entirely uh, solar powered. So Noah Grimmett, the GM of Kelly Slater Wave Company, said, we are committed to encouraging sustainable developments at any site using our technology. As part of this commitment, we are pleased that our first site in Central California is 100% powered by solar energy through P&G Solar Choice. The program also... This program allows Kelly Slater Wave Company to not only be a pioneer in wave technology, but also in supporting sustainable power initiatives as we act environmentally through an alternative, as through an alternative to install solar panels and fulfill our vision of building the best man-made wave. So for the record, they don't have solar panels out there. What they do is they buy electricity that right. was created by solar panels somewhere else, and then they buy that off of PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. Right. So honorable, I, I read yeah. the crappy comment sections, of course, and people are like, yeah, you're using more water than, that's all agricultural land. Look at how much water you're using that all these other farmers have been fighting for, blah, blah, blah. So um, well, speaking no of, good deed goes, up, goes unpunished. Speaking of farmers, um, my Duke, Kahanamoku, and we're just going to kind of, I think we should start mixing in our Duke and our Kook as okay. as it makes sense during the show, sure. the, the flow of the show, because we do anyway. We end up doing that anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my Duke, a farmer, Fergal Smith. Yeah, he. Believe it or not, he's on my list too. Um, again, I was perusing Swellnet. I saw the story and video about Fergal Smith, our favorite sort of style master charger from Ireland, Irish surfer. His brother listens to the show. He's emailed me. Nice, Kev Smith, filmmaker. Kev. All right. Well, um, you know, Fergal put out a video basically saying, "Look, I'm running for the Green Party. I'm doing it for my daughter and for all Irish children." And um, uh, you know, he goes on to, I, I, I would suggest that you just watch Fergal in the video, but he just basically goes on to explain why he's doing it. And, um, you know, he thinks that the land is probably, you know, an integral, is an integral part of who they are as Irishmen. And without it, they can't, you know, be free. And so Fergal Smith and politics, were, he's getting into it. Um, yeah. Pretty excited I excited about that. You said there's a video. I didn't see the video. Yeah. I saw the article on Surfline, I think. There was no video with yeah, that Yeah, go one. to Swellnet. And okay. those guys stew. Nettles over there, and those guys have put a video. There's a video on YouTube of Fergal. It's probably on Fergal's website. Okay. He says, look, politics is never my intention, uh, but its responsibility is on all of us to be a part of the solution, and I will take every step, no matter how challenging, to implement solutions that will safeguard our children's future. Yeah, and what's his involvement with farming? He runs like a co-opted farm or something. Do you do you know? I remember I have in no the idea. in those videos that Kev Smith did. Um, he he grew. I think he's a farmer. Yeah, he is a farmer. I, I mean, I'm probably misstating it um, specifically, but the general idea was like he bought I don't know how many acres of land with a number of other mates there, and they farm it, and it's like a co-opted community farm basically that feeds a lot of the people in well, the area. You mentioned you know the water and stuff in Kelly Slater's deal, right? And people are like, oh, let's. You know, you're trying to be environmental, but you're blowing it because the water, we need the water for the valley to grow vegetables or whatever. Totally. Well, I just found out that Fertile Smith refuses to fly for recreational purposes. Really? Yeah. Was that in that article? Which severely restricts his promotional ability. Wow. But he's, that's a guy that's friggin' living the, you know, he's yeah. walking the walk. Right. And talking the talk. Because I think I told you last time, I, I don't know, did I tell you I was talking to somebody about, the carbon footprint, our carbon footprint. Did we mention this? I don't remember. 
Well, you and I have always said, well, how, you know, people are talking about surfboards. Oh, you know, the carbon footprint yeah. of a firewire versus a California-made board, blah, blah, blah. Well, all that stuff is minuscule based uh, relative to you and me flying to Indonesia or flying Absolutely. to Hawaii. Like, like basically the amount of carbon that gets put into the atmosphere from a from a surf trip from a flight somewhere is like 30,000 times more than you the you know the amount of surfboards you'll have your entire life like it's right. ridiculous how much um, flying does to that so if you're going to like nitpick about which board is more environmentally sensitive you better not go on any surf trips anywhere ever and ride your bike down to Huntington Pier and surf there only right <laughs> <laughs> then you're walking the walk like Fergal Smith who does right. not fly for recreational purposes right Interesting. Uh, regarding, just to back up a second, Kelly Slater's wave pool, I saw a story that that board that he rode in the promotional video is for sale at a surf shop in Venice Beach. Hmm. Yeah. Wonder why. Want to guess the price? Oh, is it, is it, is like, it marketed like that's the board? Apparently not very actively because I saw this one piece on it and I didn't see it promoted anywhere else. 2500 bucks. 1300 the exact board that he rode, by the way. How did they have proof? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that there is any. It like, probably is, though, because Outer Knowns in Culver City, which is basically Venice. It, and so he probably left the board there and they're like, hey, let's sell the board down at which surf shop in Venice? Is it I was it? just looking up the article. Like cow, uh, surfing Cowboys? No. If you say the name. I'm Mollusk? It wasn't Mollusk. If you say the name, I'll know it. But I just was trying to look for the article right now and I couldn't find it again. Um, so it was probably a board that was stuck there at Outer Known and. Kelly probably gave it to that guy, John, or somebody there, and they're like, hey, let's sell it, and we'll... It's just weird that you would just sell it under the radar. Like, why wouldn't you keep it for posterity, and then yeah. why wouldn't you promote it, and why... Or why not just auction it off and it sounds it? like my conspiracy theory is going off right now. Ding, 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 oh, radar. I see somebody that works there as an intern probably grabbed it and just went to the... Hey, man, this is the board. Let's sell it, you and me. Don't tell anyone, but tell everybody, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> Instagram it, but don't... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, I thought the conspiracy theory you were going with is that was going to go to fund the Eddie. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! You've got way more imagination than I do. That's see. a good one. Yeah, that sounds like Reagan with the Contras and the Iran deal. That, but then they should have went on eBay with that, because at a surf shop, thirteen hundred bucks isn't going to get you very far with the Yeti. No, you know. But if you eBay it, you can go to the highest bidder. <laughs> so, the conspiracy theories are great. You don't need any proof. You can just run rampant with it. And podcasting is the perfect platform for. You know, planting the seed into all our listeners' <laughs> Is that what you're heads. Planting the seed. We're just planting the seed into listeners' heads and let them run with it. Did you hear what I heard? Exactly. Anyway. Well, Titans of Mavericks did run. Titans so, of Mavericks ran. Yeah. So the Eddie didn't go on Wednesday, and then Titans of Mavericks ran on Friday. Did you watch it at all or pay I, attention? to I watched it? a little bit of it. I was snowboarding that day, but where um, were you snowboarding? Utah. Oh, nice. So I. Um, I saw the fine. I saw like a little bit of the final heat when I was while I was riding up the gondola. Yeah, and and then I I looked heavily into it after that evening. You know, I I checked out the pictures and some of the videos right. and stuff that was up. I'm stoked they ran it. It seemed like it was a good event. I didn't yep. watch it. I'm I'm gl I'm stoked that the local there were some local guys that did really good. This Travis Payne kid and um, of course Nick Lamb won. Nick Vaughn, no Nick Lamb from Santa Cruz. He won it, and. This is what I will say, and I don't mean to poo-poo the Mavericks event or the Titans guys or the Cartel guys or Jeff Clark. All of them good guys. I'm glad they they did it. Relative to the imagery from Jaws, Mavericks doesn't look that big. Right. That's 
That's my take on it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not gnarly. I know it's gnarly. I would never surf Mavericks. I'm just saying that Jaws kind of blows everything else out of the water as far as just gorgeous, blue, mean, gnarly backdoor barrels. Like, exactly. It's just, it's just kind well, of, it's not fair. It's not fair to the Mavericks guys because what they're doing is insane. And I, again, I'm being hyper kind of critical, you know, acutely critical here. It's, I'm just doing my job as a podcast guy that to me, that was the first thing that stood out was this doesn't look as radical as what Shane Dorian and those guys are doing at Jaws. It just doesn't. Agreed. And Rory Parker, I believe, wrote a piece on Beach Grit saying exactly oh, that. Oh, really? That Jaws, Rory and I are channeling each other. Rory's a listener too, actually, to the show. But This sounds like I might have read that before well, I made no, this. No, I mean, I agree with you. It's not. It's out there. Like yeah. We all feel that way. So I think so. Basically, what he said, his I think the title for the piece was just that Jaws has ruined us all. So, yeah, unfortunately, not only is the wave kind of more interesting to watch and spectacular, it's also had a number of really, really perfect days. So we've been kind of overexposed to it this year, whereas in the past you might get one good day out there and then a lot of big days that have a lot of wind. But this year we've seen flawless days, multiple flawless days out there, and each of those days has set a new uh, performance standard from the past with Shane backdooring barrels or, you know, just ridiculously spectacular wipeouts uh, like the one that we saw from Tom Doslin. So each session out there, some new bar gets set and then the Mavericks thing happens and no new performance standards get set. It's just a different venue, which makes it a little interesting, but it's a lesser, you know, the waves aren't as big. They're not as perfect. So, well, I will say That's this the just, they to, run into. just to just to sort of contradict myself a little bit. The surfing that was done at this year's Titans of Mavericks was was I thought as good or better than anything that's ever been done out there. Specifically, uh, Tyler Fox. Yeah, he was surfing. He was drawing some pretty insane lines. There was another guy that got a really good barrel on sort of the second section. Um, oh yeah, you're right. I forget his name. I forget who that was too, but, but you're right, I did see He got him. a really a legit, you know, yeah. barrel, but and that's what that's what I mean though. Like when you look at that barrel and you go, "Okay, yeah, he kind of pulled up high and was in there for like 2 seconds or something and came out and and then you look at the backdoor barrels that Dorian and those guys are getting at Jaws and you're it just doesn't compare. These massive fireball spits coming out of them. Yeah. And, well, and, here's one thing that I will note about every single wave I've seen taken off on at any of these big wave events specifically, but even the free surf sessions, nobody backs down. Like when a barrel section comes, I haven't seen one person dodge it. And that's something that I can't say about watching backdoor in some of the lesser, not the, not the pipe masters, but some of the other events, there will be a section, it might be a closeout section, and guys will dodge it. Guys will straighten out. Whereas in these big wave events, guys never back down. Well, I'll tell you what, that closeout section at Backdoor Pipe, it's not if you pull into that, you're going to die. Like, no, it, not it goes, always, it goes dry. Mean, but it, I mean, it, that's, why they, that's why they don't back dude, door. But that. guys do back. I mean, guys I mean, do pull in. I've well, seen and guys. And they get in. worked. Exactly. Yeah. But, I've seen it in but you don't think the guy pulling in it no, left at Mavericks isn't going to get worked, but no, they do it still. You know? So you're right. That's that's the one point of difference with big wave surfing. We are seeing new performance standards set every single time one of these swells hit, which is which is awesome. And I and, and again, I've never surfed there, and I never will surf there, so I can't be an expert on this. But I've been out there and watched them. I've been in the boat and seen it happen. Um, it seems like Mavericks might be a more difficult 
wave to ride. Well, it's less perfect. That's yeah. For sure. That's what I mean. Like it's just a little, you know, it's just a little more. Yeah, it's less perfect. It's yeah. not as pristine, and so in that regard, it's got a little bit more chunk, a little bit more, you know, stuff to deal with. Well, it makes it a more plus the full suits. Totally, yeah. it makes it a more interesting wave if you are in film production and you're telling the story. I mean, we've talked about it before. Jeff Clark's story of surfing it for decades before anybody else did by himself, losing his board and his board getting blown across the bay and having to swim in. Like those elements about it make it much more compelling from a story standpoint. However, from just watching as the viewer and wanting to see performance surfing, it's not as compelling. So couple of points. It's interesting. You know, Jaws is just really just blown up this year. Like Jaws came into its own. And it's really kind of, it's almost made all the other big wave venues and, and events and spots just seem less than, and it's almost like, look, unless it's a Jaws, we're kind of desensitized to it all. Like in a way. It's been a crazy winter, it's, man. It's, you know, it's, it's been great for big waves paddling, surfing, but it's also, you could argue it's been its own worst enemy. Yeah. That remains to be seen. So far, so good, but we'll see. I mean. My kook. Wait, wait, wait. Are you still going? No, yeah, this isn't the got, end of the show. Hold on. No, no, I know. This isn't the end of the show. I'm just Okay, go. Go. I'm just I, going into my kook because it relates I to I had the, another thought queued me. up. Oh, this let me get to this thought before we move on. The Mavericks event. Yeah. It should be stated was really supposed to run the week prior, uh the Friday before the Super Which was Bowl. Perfect. The best day that was, ever. That was the day of days. Yeah, that was the day of days. And they didn't run Strictly because the Coast Guard and some overseeing bodies that they need to employ for the event were too busy with the Super Bowl yeah. and the safety and security related to that because right. this, the Mavericks event would have run on Friday, but the Super Bowl was on Sunday and all of those organizations needed yeah. to. The Super Bowl as a contingency plan had every single, had bought up all the resources Correct. in the state of California just to be on standby. Correct. And that included people as far away as Coast Guard members in the Half Moon Bay area, and probably all the way down, you know, through the Monterey Peninsula. Like they owned every hotel, every, yep. I mean, every hospital. Like they were just like, you're, everyone's on standby for this weekend, no matter what. And the Titans wanted to run. Like they would have run on that Friday and it would have been an amazing, you know, event, I'm sure. But they weren't able to because of that. And they did have an amazing free surf session. They which did. Was they, well in, documented. In a way, they kind of got like the perfect little preamble to their event. Sure, sure. Okay, by Kook. Yes. The Coastal Commission, which has stated that... Dude, um, you're not going to believe it. I have the same exact Kook. That missing from the list of elite athletes who will hit the water are the names of any women. And it has been that way since the first Mavericks contest was held in 1999. The Coastal Commission has said that this must change. In a vote taken last November, the Coastal Commission decided it would require contest founder Jeff Clark to create a plan to include women in future events. If he does not comply, the commission will not grant him the permits he needs to hold the event. Coastal Commission are complete effing kooks, man. <laughs> this is not about gender. This is about performance. Okay. Scott Bass taking a stand against women I once again. <laughs> I would love it if it was all women in bikinis surfing in the Mavericks oh. event. 
my point is it's wow, not really gonna see i was giving you an opportunity i was gonna make fun of <laughs> but now you're gonna actually no what i'm saying is it, it if they can do it in bikinis more power to them i'm just saying that unless you're good enough get out of the way that's why i'm not doing it where does the bikini factor into this conversation i was going over the top okay. in my statement okay. to try okay. to make a point that it, i don't care if they're naked or not whatever if you're not why good would enough they be naked? To do, here's the thing if you're not good enough to do it you're not the coastal commission somebody's gonna drowned based on this well no so that that's i'm trying to make a point does jeff clark have something written in there that this is for men only i don't know you have to ask jeff i i don't i would argue that he probably doesn't i think that the event probably is open and i i'm speculating but i would argue that it is open and for whatever reason you know it's been fulfilled by men up until now so the coastal commission requiring a separate division i would argue what I mean, you have a valid point. You don't want to force anybody to go out into life-threatening waves or even encourage them unless they are really fighting for that opportunity. And well, I would. Place. I would go. But I would are, send them out in the gnarliest possible conditions. That's what the men go out in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you want this? Okay. Here no, we go. Exactly. Exactly. It's on. But, but I would probably argue that I would argue that those women who have earned their place in that lineup could probably participate in the event in its current iteration if they wanted to. I don't know that Jeff Clark is no, supporting the, them. There's a cup. There's at least two or three women that are. There's one that's like number five on the alternate list. O'Shaughnessy or something. Yeah, I think that's her name. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, I'll let the listeners um, share their opinions with you. What's your email address? Do you want to? No, here's my. Well, yeah, my, my surf, <laughs> surftalksandiegogmail.com. In case yeah. I wasn't clear enough, let those that can surf the best surf in the event. Male, female, transgender. I don't give a shit. Okay, well, interestingly, the California Coastal Commission is also my kook, but for a different reason entirely. I was like, how can these guys be kooks for separate reasons on the same week? It's easy. <laughs> is it? <laughs> for them, apparently. Yeah, oh, well, I'm calling them the kook for ousting Executive Director Charles Lester, who is an advocate for anti-development on California's coast. Are you familiar with this story? I am. Do you follow it? I am, okay. yes. So the concern is that the commission's actions are politically motivated and supporting the public's best interest is no longer their objective. I'll give you as quick of a version of this story as I can. California Coastal Commission was set up in 1972 with the sole purpose of protecting the coastline from overdevelopment. It's the most powerful land use agency in the nation has become kind of an archetype for states striving to sustain their environment. Lester was appointed by unanimous decision to take over executive director's role in 2011, but recently he's been ousted by the board. That's you pounding on the table, by the was way. Was it Not really? Me. You're pounding on, oh, by the way. Showing one a little listener, bit of passion. The, yeah, go ahead. Wow, sorry if the mic's picked that up. Table pounder. So anyway, <laughs> so the LA Times wrote, quote, environmental groups say that the attempt to oust Lester is the result of commissioners who have grown increasingly bold in asserting their power over the agency, sometimes negotiating with land developers during public meetings and going against agency recommendation to make concessions in favor of applicants. They held a 12-hour public hearing, six hours of which were filled with the public commenting, not a single person of which spoke against Lester. Thousands of protesters were in attendance. They all spoke on behalf of Lester, yet the commission retired to closed doors and voted seven to five to remove him. So it was the a total pub- coup. It was yeah. a total big money backdoor, slide me some cash in my back pocket coup by lobbying interests that have the interest of developers in, at heart. And um, I mean, 
You're going to see undoubtedly. You're going to specifically. There's a Newport Beach um, development that's taking place that you're going to see go through now. A thousand homes in Newport Banning Ranch, the largest remaining piece of undeveloped land along the Orange. Cal- that's uh, exactly Orange what we need. More development in, in Newport Orange, Beach. I mean, seriously. That's exact. That's such a good idea. Seriously, California so, Coastal Commission. So. That was something that was something that had been fought for years, and that's going to go through now. Surfriders um, Jennifer Savage commented and said, "Quote: I think this is a potentially dire situation. For forty years, the CCC has been operating in the way that ensures that the Coastal Act is the first and foremost being defended. If the commissioners can remove the person most responsible for enforcing the Coastal Act, though he's been doing a good job, what message does that send?" Yeah. Yikes. They're idiots. Kooks. I've got some more California Coastal Commission news. Oh, okay. California Coastal Commission is throwing rocks at the Lunata Bay Boys. Okay. Have you heard this? So now they're dukes in this no, story? No, they're... Well, yeah. I don't know what they are. They're just... <laughs> they're fighting localism. I, I just thought it was interesting. I read this in the LA Times. They're it came busy. today. CCC's been had a busy week. Um, in a letter to the Palos Verdes Estates officials... Jordan Sanchez, a California Coastal Commission enforcement officer, wrote that the Lunata Bay Boys are so entrenched in this beautiful notch of California coastline that they are subject to the commission's watchdog regulations and permitting processes. The letter says, from Sanchez, Precluding full public use of the coastline at Palos Verdes Estates, including the waters of Lunata Bay, whether through physical devices or impediments such as threatening behavior intended to discourage public use of the coastline, represents a change of access to water and thus constitutes development. Therefore, they can deal with them as far as permitting and stuff. And there's a reference to a stone fort that's down at the bottom of Lunata Bay at the water's edge, allegedly constructed by the group of Lunata Bay boys as a party spot and outpost for coordinating harassment of outsiders. (laughs) The fort features stone and cement masonry. And on one recent day, it was outfitted with cooking utensils, lighter fluid, trash cans, cushions, and ice chest as well as a paved stepway, seating areas, a fire pit, and two bongs. Okay. (laughs) I just threw the bong part in. Okay. That's not true. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so the Coastal Commission's basically saying, hey, man, you know what? If you're going to have a little party down here, we're going to ask you to have to uh, get permits and regulations. You're going to have to follow our regulations. Yeah, nobody gives a crap about that that structure, except for the fact now you guys are bullying people. We're going to now take the legal route and... Say that you needed a permit to build that. Yeah, you get the sense that it's like, just as you say, it's like another weapon in the quiver for the guys that are trying to to sort of put an end to the Lunata Bay localism. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have a must-see moment. And Me too. I bet we have the same one. Okay. On Who the count of three. One, two, three. Carlos Martinez. Oh. <laughs> no, but I'm a big fan of that moment too. You go. Carlos Munoz. Carlos Munoz. Carlos Munoz, David's favorite WCT surfer from Costa Rica. WCT hopeful. Oh, you told me he was on the CT. Two years ago. Two I, years ago. You've been I riding. put him in my sights, and I was like, that guy with the giant afro yeah. is going to make waves on the world tour. First Costa Rican surfer. When? What year is this going to happen? Next year. 
next year. Yeah. <laughs> what a load of BS. No, not a load. That means Where I saw it three years in advance. Where is he on the QS? He almost qualified this year. Now I don't you know. Let, what, two years ago, you were telling me that he's going to be on the CT. I didn't say in 2015. I didn't say in 2016. You just like threw, I said he's threw going a big to net be. out there. He's like, going to be the first Costa Rican. That's what I said. I'll rewind the tape. Any <laughs> hardcore fan listeners, go back and find that episode. Uh, here's anyway, the deal. Yes. You're going to state right now. You're yes. going to add fuel to my flame by giving this story go look anyone can get a great wave at back door if anybody can have you gotten one out there no my any i mean any one of the thousands of great qs surfers well there's one that happens to be the best back door eight second barrel bang it was pretty incredible and um i have to give him many kudos much kudos many kudos sure mucho mucho kudos A lot of love to Carlos Munoz for this incredible backdoor barrel. Uh, I think you can see it on Surfine. It might be wave of the win- one of the wave of the winner. Didn't he maybe? just get it like yeah, yesterday like, or the yeah. day before? Yeah, yeah. So and check so, it out. It's. I think I saw it on Surfline. So. I saw it on Surfline too. But the only angle that I saw was like a pulled back, not very good yeah. shot of it. Yeah. Did you see a good one? Or? No, they were kind of saying, "Hey, look, there must have been some other yeah. angles. So wait for more to come." But. Pretty deep, incredible, perfect Carlos Munoz backdoor pipeline. Barrel. And long. Long, long. That's the other thing. Long, 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 long. That doesn't happen often. Long, long. But let's give Carlos credit. The kid, he's been on the North Shore for like, I mean, I don't know, he's 18 or something. He's been going to the North Shore for eight years now and been really paying his dues. Stays at the Volcom house and put in tons of time out there. That's what it takes, Scott. Everybody. Hard work. Look, I want nobody wants Carlos Munoz on the WCT more than me. Yeah, right. Nobody want, more than me. I, I want to see a guy from the trenches come up and make yeah, it happen. Exactly. However, there's a million Carlos Munozes out there. And that, until he's in the top 10 on the CT, I'm not impressed. Here's where I don't feel like I'm being heard by you, Scott Bass. Okay. This is language I learned in therapy. I'm going to listen up. Is that when I isolate these people, I'm telling you, they're not the one. They're not one of a thousand. They're one in a thousand. That's the difference. Who's the last guy? Matt, Matt Banning. Yeah. He got injured. Yeah. Okay. He looked amazing up until he got injured. <laughs> no, he did. He didn't He's going to be back stronger than ever this we'll year. See. So he's kind of got a weird style. I yeah. love his style. So that's my that point. Says it all. <laughs> that's my point, though. Is you never, you never heard me say the name of Davy Cathals, even though he just qualified. That's not oh a good example. <laughs> Garrett. Okay, you never heard yeah, me say the name. Why didn't you say Davy Cathals? No, you never heard me say the name of Garrett Parks. Or any of these other, there are thousands of these other guys. You hear me isolate you know my guy the is? Matt Band. Jack Robinson. That's my guy. That's my guy too. That's the other thing is I've called out him as my guy. As Jack well. Robinson's my guy. Jack Robbo, arguably. Robbo. You call him Robbo. Well, dude, we're tight. Robbo, mate. We're hey, tight. Robbo, give him a mate. Get me a mate I, pie. I mean, John John Florence is my favorite surfer, you know, one of my favorite surfers, but Jack Robbo is. The new John John? He's a John John's too. already being. It's funny because I remember Jamie O'Brien really had the limelight, and as quick as you could say John John Florence, John John was the guy. Like it, it seemed like it happened overnight. It did, but I would and also. Jamie was sort of. No, but I would also argue Jamie kind of did that to himself. A little bit. But my know? point is, is that now here we've got Jack Robinson, and we're all like. This kid's insane. This kid's incredible. He was yeah. born in the tube. I know. It's really amazing. Well, my musty moment is Clay Marzo. Did you see that video put out by Superbrand, his surfboard sponsor, no. surfing in West Oz? 
I'll send it to you, Scott, or you can come to surfsplendorpodcast.com. Scroll down to the bottom of this show's page. It'll be there for you. By the way, boardroomshow.com, have you seen the new site? Can I finish? Yeah. Come on. Trying to segue to your own business interests. This isn't a corporately sponsored podcast, Scott. So um, Clay Marzo surfing West Oz in trunks, by the way. Yeah. That's crazy. But getting, I mean, the the guy surfs, like he, he goes left almost always. And in West Oz, that's what you do. Well, oftentimes where he's surfing. But anyway, he threads the barrel like no one else. Like it's unbelievable how well the guy surfs the barrel on the on his forehand. Then he does those big whipping layback blowtails. Comes out of one barrel in particular and gets hit by the lip and falls off his board and only has like maybe two toes on one foot still on the board and then gets back up out of that. He's yeah. a total gumby. It's crazy. So anyways, Clay Marzo and West Oz um, in trunks, super brand video. I'll post that. And then cool. my my Duke, brand new video that just dropped two days ago with, um, it's called The Old Man in the Sea featuring Derek Hind. Really, it's mm. just like a, there's no marketing behind, there's no brand behind the video. It's just some independent filmmaker filmed him surfing Jay Bay and gets him to narrate. He like does an interview with him, but just rolls the audio as a voiceover. And Derek is just pontificating about life. Yes. And it is beautiful. He's an interesting guy. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I watched it and I'm like, I'm into this. By the way, for listeners who don't know, Derek Hines surfs finless. He has for 20 years now and he only goes right. And he surfs really interestingly finless. And so he talks about that a little bit, but his just perspective on life and all things and philosophy is refreshing and i watched it because i wanted to watch the finless surfing but that wasn't what stuck with me what stuck with me was the words and i fell in love with it so i'm going to post that Derek hines my duke for being a forward thinker but also with that forward thinking is really seated in old philosophy yeah you know so big fan, cool. Derek Hine, I am Duke too. of the Week. He's a great guy. Tell me about the boardroomshow.com, Scott. Oh, I was just saying, you know, we've got the new site up, boardroomshow.com. You can get all of the down the line podcasts there. You can also get them at Surf Splendor Podcast. And um, of course, David has some great interviews on his site as well. So you're gonna get uh, down the line podcasts at the boardroom show and tons of content. You're gonna get gear reviews, um, we've got videos. We've got opinion pieces and um, surf reports. So anyway, just another surf site for you to click through. But not just a site. What is the boardroom show itself? The boardroom show is uh, basically um, a place where we celebrate the surf manufacturing industry. We do it every year. It's a trade show. Yeah. Trade show, May 14th and 15th. Um, We get all of the... Uh, surfboard manufacturers together and we celebrate the surfboard the craft of the making the surfboard um and yeah so it's going to be a big deal and it always is this year we're honoring jerry lopez so jerry's going to be there and um and of course u.s blanks is presenting the icons of foam tribute to the master shape off honoring jerry lopez so we're going to get six shapers to attempt to replicate a classic jerry lopez surfboard and um and there's a bunch of other cool stuff going down there, including ukulele and guitar makers, a, a, a music stage, uh, glassing and laminating demos by Rev Kim, and of course, Best in Show. We'll mm-hmm. have Best in Show. We're going to have seminars, David. We're going to be talking specifically in seminars 
about the Kelly Slater wave pool and what it means for our future. We're going to be talking about uh, ecology, carbon footprint, and surfing and what it really means. And we touched on that a little bit a today. Of, yeah, a lot of stuff that we talk about here. And, of course, we'll have a Q&A with Jerry Lopez himself. So Jerry will talk story and a few other cool things at that seminar. And, of course, all the greatest surfboards in the world, including the new Kelly Slater and Rob Machado models by Firewire and uh, – all of the top brands are going to be there, and we're excited about it. So this is on the weekend of May 16th? 14th and 15th. 14th and May 14th and 15th in, San Diego. in Del Mar, California, beautiful okay. San Diego. Yeah, well, And we're going to have demo morning, so you'll be able to ride the boards and check yeah. out the gear and stuff. I didn't want listeners to think theboardroomshow.com is just another website for the sake of being a website. No, no, of course not. All that stuff that you Thank pitched you. theboardroomshow.com as are just kind of ancillary content and benefit for this show. Yeah, if you Just love once a year surfboards, show. you want to go to theboardroomshow.com exactly. and check out the boardroom show. If you love yourself, you want to go there. Right. You'd be ashamed. You'd be wasting your time by going elsewhere. Right. You wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go to like the inertia. <laughs> oh, dang. You just wow. slammed them. No, Zach. Come on. Those guys do. They put on a website. <laughs> that includes i'm jealous they have such good search engine optimization i can't even type in anything without the inertia coming up it's just like those guys are killing it in the search engine optimization area they have surf tangentially related content on their website don't they yeah they have like surfing and bananas and why bananas are important to surfing stretching that you could do to become a better professional surfer really cool cars to drive for the top five cars to drive that Alana Blanchard drives in a bikini. Right. Right. Exactly. Stuff like that. Exactly. So there's a few stones wow. thrown. We're just kidding. We love you guys. Come on. Well, I like Zach. Zach's a human. great. Zach's. Zach's as a, a human, human, you like him. but No, I do. I, know, I like Zach. Why did you qualify it as a human? It's the most important thing to be. Right. right. Like how point. else would you prefer to be qualified? Well, Zach is, yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Exactly. All right. Those Scott. guys. Those guys, you know who? I'm really a big fan of that swell net, man. Are you? Yeah. Those yeah. guys do a good job there. Good. Okay. That's all we got. Well. Until next time. Oh, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. Surfsplendorpodcast.com. Continue this conversation. Any thoughts that you have about Scott or I or the show or any of the stories in today's show. You can go to boardroomshow.com. Or surfsplendorpodcast.com. <laughs> There's a comment section. And by the way. I have a comment section. Hit us up on social media. <laughs> at surfsplendor. At boardroomshow.com. At boardroomshow.com. I get, we actually Twitter. I get some tweets that are actually helpful. Yeah. I don't really like. I only Like check. the one from Adam about. The Volcom House, the yeah. Red, Bull, Red Bull TV. Actually, that was an email that he sent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Red Bull ran a live stream with slow-mo playback. By the way, did we pipeline. even talk about the Volcom Pipe Pro? Kelly Slater winning the Volcom Pipe Pro. The last show that we recorded was on the final day, so we didn't actually cover the final day. It was insane, but afterwards, the waves were so good after the contest, and the very next day, it was just like the most flawless, perfect pipe ever, yeah. and the Surfline Cam was just roping. Right. Yeah. So the Surfline Cam did it, but then Adam, the listener, yeah. sent us an email saying, like, look, now Red Bull's streaming it from the Volcom house, but also doing slow-mo rewind and stuff like that. So shout out to Adam for that. Uh, I missed it because I didn't get that email until the next day. But nevertheless. Yeah, man. All right. That's how you get a hold of us. Until next time, Scott. Adios and aloha. Simon says that now you
desires of vacation. Free to join in fun and plenty of creation. And that is Surf Splendor for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you go to find all past episodes, all the videos, links to articles, everything that we discussed in this show. We've got a track list of every song that we've ever played on Surf Splendor, including this Stevie Wonder jam, and um, all sorts of stuff on the website. And of course, leave comments. Go to iTunes to rate and review the show. Share the show with friends on social media at Surf Splendor. You've heard me say all these things before, but repetition is key. That's what I've learned. Marketing 101, my friends. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with an all new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, get out in the ocean, get a couple waves, and shred on. Because it means happiness for you. So much in life for you to feel Unfound in white, red or yellow fields A minded sturgeon can be such a thrill You'll be satisfied Take the chance and ride The bird of beauty Coração assim, tá feliz, vai cantar carnaval.